Good morning. Um, if you have a copy of scriptures, I would encourage you to turn to Hebrews as we continue our study through, I almost said the gospel of Hebrews, and I guess I could have and been right, the epistle of Hebrews. Um, as we continue our study there, looking at the goodness and the supremacy of Christ um, in all things. In our worship guide, it says Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. We're going to concentrate there, but in the reading, I'm going to start at verse 23 of chapter 9. Um, just because it ties in with what we're, we're looking at today. So if you have a copy of Scripture, go to chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, starting in verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as is an appointed man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in the sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their minds. Then he adds, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. Um, would you pray with me this morning? 
Father in heaven, we are um, grateful and humble and thankful to you that in your mercy you've given us your word. And in your mercy you've given us Christ. And Father, I pray this morning as we look at um, your words that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews, at the completeness and the perfection and the accomplishment of the sacrifice of Christ. Father, may, may we cling to it more, more closely today. May we, may we see our great need of it. May we see its great work to accomplish our need. Father, would your spirit give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and minds to comprehend the truth of your word. For apart from that, um, we will not grasp it. So Father, we pray you would give us that today. In Christ we pray these things. Amen. Um, over the past um, several weeks, uh, I don't know the actual week number, um, we have been walking through and looking through, studying through the, the epistle to the Hebrews. And in so doing, we've been looking and following the, the argumentation of, of the writer of Hebrews as he is writing to these, um, in a sense, persecuted believers, those who are being um, pressured and those, it seems, that are struggling to, they're, they're being pressured and, and fighting the tendency to go back to the old covenant, to go back to the Mosaic law as their hope to, to forsake Christ alone and to go back to these things. And the writer of Hebrews has been laying a foundation and an argument that ultimately Christ is better than all of those things and all of those things were ultimately pointing to, to Christ anyway. We see at the beginning of the letter, the, the writer speaking of Christ's superiority to, to the angels. Then Christ being superior to Moses and being the better Moses. And Christ being our great high priest who is sinless, who intercedes for us, who has mediated a new covenant and who has offered a sacrifice of himself, which is what we're going to concentrate and look at today in the, 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 the words of the letter. The writer of Hebrews has been continually giving an exposition of the Old Testament in general, and it seems more specifically the book of Leviticus, with the sacrificial system and, and the Mosaic law and the priesthood. And he's been giving an exposition of these things and how they are insufficient to save nor never intended to save and are ultimately pointing to Christ and how Christ is the completion, the fulfillment, the better of all of these things. And mixed in with those, there's these warnings about what happens if we go back to the old system. Because Christ is better, because Christ is the fulfillment of these things, if we go back to them, there's no hope, and we'll even look at that some today. But in concentrating this week on the last part of chapter 9 and the first section of chapter 10, looking at the, the completion, the fullness, the perfection of Christ's sacrifice juxtaposed to the sacrifices of the Old Testament. I, I want us to kind of follow the argument of the writer here as we look at the, the limitations of, the insufficiency of, the, 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 to use the language of the, the writer of Hebrews, the obsoleteness of the, 
the old covenant, the sacrifices of the old covenant to atone for sin and the perfection and the completeness of the sacrifice of Christ to atone for sin. So as we do that, I want us to kind of break it up into two sections. Look at the limits of the old covenant and look at the, the fullness and the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. And as we do so, um, I'll probably make mention of this somewhere as we look at the Old Covenant again, but I want to I preface as we look at the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, and, and the weakness of the Old Covenant in this regard. I want to be careful, and I want to make a disclaimer at the beginning, because I don't want my language or my wording to be misunderstood. What I'm not saying, and more specifically what the writer of Hebrews is not saying, is that somehow the Old Covenant failed in what it intended to do. That somehow when we speak of the weakness of the old covenant or the insufficiency of the old covenant, we're, we're not speaking as when God made the old covenant, he just didn't foresee that this thing wasn't going to work out. And then he, now he's realized after a, couple, after a couple thousand years that this isn't going to work, people aren't going to be able to be saved through this, so now we need a new covenant. That's not what we're saying. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. What we're going to see is, is that the old covenant was never intended to accomplish those things. God didn't intend for the, the old covenant to accomplish accomplish those things the old covenant is pointing us to the new covenant to save us and so as we use this language don't don't hear me say don't misunderstand the writer of hebrews as saying is that somehow god missed it on the old covenant so he needed a new one the old covenant did what it was intended to do and it could never do what it was not intended to do so let's look at this the limits that the writer of Hebrews is looking at the old covenant primarily looking at the sacrifices of the old tef, of the old covenant. The first thing we see that the writer points out is that these sacrifices and and customs of the old covenant were but shadows of the heavenly things, copies of the heavenly things. We see this even back earlier in chapter 8 verse 5, but in 9:23 it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things. Or in verse, chapter 10, verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the things to come instead of the true form of these realities. The writer of Hebrews is pointing out that this old covenant and, and the things of the old covenant, the, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the temple, all of these things are but shadows of the true heavenly things, of the true things to which they are to point. And we know something about a shadow. The shadow is not the real thing. The shadow is, is a, a form of, a substance of, and the sun shines on us. Our shadow is cast on the ground, and we see a semblance of us, but it's not us. It's not the substance of us. And in the same way, the Old Covenant is, is not the, the true heavenly things. They are shadows of. They're to point us to. They're to lead us to. They're, they're in a sense, reflecting of the, the true heavenly truths and the true heavenly things. These are not meant to be an end or the substance of God's atoning work, but merely a shadow of what was to come. The Old Covenant is limited in that it's not the actual true heavenly things. It is a shadow of these things. And again, that's what it was intended to be. Again, I want to reemphasize here, this is not God having to come up with plan B because plan A didn't work. This is the fullness of plan A having been done. Now plan, now, no, 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 see, even I messed myself up and used plan A and plan B language. 
This is the fullness of the old covenant being accomplished and pointing us to the new covenant and now God inaugurating the new covenant in Christ Jesus to fully accomplish what he intended to accomplish. These are shadows to point us to these things. But then as we look at specifically, as again, the writer of Hebrews has been dealing with this since chapter 7, dealing with this aspect of this high priesthood, this priesthood of Jesus. And one of the tasks of the priest was to make sacrifices. And we're going to see that even these Old Testament sacrifices were limited and insufficient to ultimately accomplish what we needed, which was redeeming. Look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10. Because one, one of the things we see about the sacrifices of this old covenant is that they cannot cleanse the conscience or take away sins or make us perfect. In verses 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true forms of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who are draw near. Otherwise they would have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a remainder, reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away Sin. And the same thing is said in verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The writer of Hebrews is pointing us to what God has already proclaimed of himself and proclaimed true of his own sacrifices, or the sacrifices appointed in the Old Testament throughout the Old Testament. That these ultimately, finally and fully, cannot atone for sin and make one clean. Again, the writer of Hebrews is even referencing Psalm 40 here. With sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Burnt offerings and sacrifices or sin offerings you take no pleasure. Ultimately pointing to that they won't accomplish the true forgiveness and true atonement. Will not ultimately reconcile us to God because they cannot remove our sins from us. These Old Testament sacrifices that have been mandated and again I would encourage you if you've if at some, any point during the, the book of Hebrews you've not referenced back to the book of Leviticus, I would encourage you to do so. As you read through Leviticus and you see these sacrifices and you see the, the roles of the priests and the task of the priests and the setting up of the temple, and we see these things throughout the book of Leviticus, what we're seeing the writer of Hebrews point us to becomes even more clear. But we see all throughout the, the Levitical code these sacrifices that were to be made. We've already referenced last week, looking back to the Day of Atonement. We'll look at that again this week. But there were also daily sacrifices that would have been made. And the reality of these sacrifices is that they could not, nor were they ever intended to, actually cleanse the one making the sacrifice. They could not clear the conscience. They could not take away sin. Yes, God appointed them. And in that shedding of blood, we see God, in, in a sense, um, forgiving them. But these sacrifices did not offer ultimate forgiveness. They were pointing ahead to something that, that those who were true Israel were putting their faith in, this Redeemer who would come, this one who would ultimately come and save them. But these sacrifices could do nothing to take away sins, nothing to... Cleanse the conscience. 
And hence leading to the other weakness of these sacrifices. Because they couldn't take away sin fully, because they couldn't fully atone, because they couldn't fully clean the, the, the participant, what did they have to be? Repeated. Constantly. The writer of Hebrews, in speaking to the Day of Atonement, speaks of this yearly repetition of the sacrifice. In, chapter, in verse 25 of chapter 9, nor was it offered himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. So we see this high priest every year. And again, Pastor Jimmy looked at that as we went through Hebrews, looked at the Day of Atonement, so we won't rehash the fullness of all of that, but we are reminded of this truth that there was the, this, this goat who was killed and blood sprinkled inside the most holy place that the high priest would take in once a year to atone to purify the things of the temple because of the sins of the people. But the problem is, is he didn't do that just once. Yom Kippur came back again next year, and guess what they had to do? The priest had to cleanse himself, make a sacrifice for himself, and then sacrifice for the people, take it back into the holy place to purify and atone the things of the temple. And then next year, guess what he had to do? He had to do it all over again. And every year these were repeated over and over and over. In verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1, it speaks of these same sacrifices that are continually offered. But then in verse 11, it goes even beyond the, the Day of Atonement, these yearly sacrifices that would be made, and it points even to the other sacrifices and offerings that were appointed in the book of Leviticus that would have been done daily. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So not only did every year the high priest have to do his sacrifice at the Day of Atonement to, to purify the things of the most holy place on behalf of the people. Every day, the priest stands up and he gets out of bed and he goes to work and his work is making sacrifices on behalf of the people. These were sacrifices of, of sin offering or the guilt offering and, and the people would bring the animal to the priest and he would... Not to be graphic, but he would cut the throat and, and there was things to be done with the blood and he would burn the offering and do these things every day. And not just once a day, but like every day for everyone who would bring one. I think it was last week. Every day becomes groundhog for me the older I get. And so I don't remember when was last week and when was the week before, but I think it was last week. Pastor Jimmy spoke of the, the historic fact of there was this kind of tunnel, this cistern that would flow out of the city to, to kind of account for the blood that would flow out because of these sacrifices. And again, if you read the book of Leviticus, if you, if you have a propensity to be squirmish at the mention of blood, you're, I would encourage you to still read it, but you're going to have a hard time. There's a lot of blood in the book of Leviticus. There's a shedding of blood. And every day there's this sacrifice. And every day the priest would stand up. And every day the people would go by the temple. And the smell of blood was there. And the shedding of blood was there. And the bleeding of the goats was there. And every day these sacrifices are repeated. Why? Because they can't fully atone for the sin. 
They're not accomplishing the ultimate forgiveness and purification of the people. So every day they've got to be repeated. And the writer of Hebrews in verse 3 of chapter 10 says, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. Again, pointing back to Yom Kippur. But even every day there's a reminder of sin. Every year they had Yom Kippur and they're reminded. Man, I, I had to do something to account for every sin that was done in the last year and there's this, there's this sacrifice that's being made and we already know looking ahead next year it's got to be done again because we're sinful and our sin needs to be dealt with and it's not been dealt with. And so we're having to do this over and over and there's this continual reminder of sin for them. Not a general idea of sin, a continual reminder of their sin and its need to be dealt with and its need to be redeemed and its need to be forgiven and their need to be cleansed of it. And yet these sacrifices of the Old Testament couldn't do that. They were offered daily. And not only could they not, again, I want to emphasize, they were never intended to. We saw in our catechism kind of redeemer do we need? One that is man and God. These goats and bulls are neither. God never intended them to save us. He intended them to be a shadow that would point us to the one who could. And we do have that redeemer as we've been seeing all throughout the book of Hebrews and we see this high priest who has the high priest forever who intercedes for us but This high priest not only made a sacrifice, but again, the the writer of Hebrews kind of separates the sacrifice of the Old Testament priest versus the sacrifice of Christ because he references in chapter 9 that the the high priest in verse 25 of chapter 9, that the high priest goes into holy places with blood that's not his own. But Christ, our great high priest, we're going to see goes into the true holy place with blood that is his own. And unlike this old covenant sacrifice, this sacrifice does take away sin and does fully accomplish. Let's look at that. As we see, compared to the the insufficiency and the weakness of the Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrifices, and the Old Covenant sacrifice of the high priest, let's look at the supremacy and the completeness and the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ. We're going to kind of look at this Um, kind of comparatively next to the ones that we saw in the old. The first thing we see about the sacrifice of Christ in this section is that unlike the sacrifices of the Old Testament who were for the shadow of the heavenly things, Christ went into the true holy of holies to atone for us. Verse 24 of chapter 9 For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. I don't know about you, but there's been a richness as we've gone through the book of Hebrews for me, and even as we've been singing songs that I've sung before, that that words now stand out to me because of this thing we've been seeing of the the intercessory nature of Christ. Again, things I could have communicated to you, but just hearing 
it taught through the book of Hebrews and seeing this repetitive nature of it throughout the book of Hebrews of this high priestliness of Jesus. You know, we often think that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and he is and we're even going to see that again later that Jesus is mediating for us. But even this week as I was studying through this text, this reality hit me that he's, he, he's not just, and, and again, he's the eternal God. He's always been with the Father. But he's not just doing his intercessory work now. But he did his sacrificial work in the presence of God for us. Whereas the high priest would go into the earthly most holy places and sprinkle with blood. Jesus went before the very presence of the Father. With his blood to to cleanse and purify his people. Us. Who would be with him in heaven to purify us, to be fit to be in the presence of God. He went to the presence of God with his blood to cleanse and to make intercession for us. So unlike the earthly, the old sacrifices, that for the shadow of things, Christ's sacrifices were for and in the very heavenly things. But also in Christ. And his sacrifice, unlike the old covenant sacrifices that were repeated every day and every year, Christ's sacrifice was once. Or to use the language of the writer of Hebrews, once for all. Again, look at chapter 9, verses 25 through 28. Nor is it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of this age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. Then in chapter 10, verse 10 through 14, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For he, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The writer of Hebrews is showing and has shown this repetitive nature of the Old Testament sacrifices, but then he goes to the sacrifice of Christ, and it's this continual refrain. It was once. Once for all. It is not to be repeated. And even, even in to show that and to give a picture of that, again, go back to verse 11 of chapter 10. We see this picture of every priest standing daily at his service. Again, we... We talked about that a few moments ago. The priest would get up and every day he had to get up and do his work. And his work was to make sacrifice and to atone and to mediate for the people. And he would get up and his work was never done. But Jesus makes his sacrifice and what does it say he does? He sits down. Why does he sit down? What is that that indicating? When do you sit down? When you're done. Jesus has made his sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself, the shedding of his own blood, 
And in so doing, it was once and for all. And when he did it and accomplished his work, he didn't have to get back up to do it again. He sat down. And, and it even shows the extent of his sitting down. He sat down waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Indicating he... And I want to be careful again with my language. Indicating he's not standing back up again until he's coming back. And it's not to make sacrifice again. It's to, it's to claim his people and to make his enemies a footstool. There's no more sacrifice to be made. Christ isn't going to stand up to accomplish that work again, for it has been done. Christ did it once, and that was sufficient. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God, as it says in verse 12. He didn't just sit. It points to this sitting at the right hand of God, which again, if you go to Romans 8.34, he's sitting at the right hand of God where he makes intercession for us. Not only did he make sacrifice for us that was complete and he sat down, he sat down at the right hand of Father to intercede and plead that very sacrifice on our behalf. Christ's sacrifice, unlike the sacrifices of the Old Covenant, was a one-time sacrifice. And this is not because he could only die once, it's because he only needed to die once. His sacrifice fully accomplished atonement for his sheep and for his people. But why was Christ's sacrifice able to be once for all compared to these sacrifices of the Old Testament that had to be repeated daily and yearly? Because those sacrifices couldn't take away sin, so they had to be repeated. But yet Christ, once for all sacrifice, we're going to see, takes away sin, deals with it completely. Again, go back to chapter 9. I know we're going back and forth to these things, but he's, the way he's working through it. Chapter 9, verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. And then he goes on in verse 28 that in that once sacrifice, he has bore the sins of many. And you get to 10 in verse 16 through 18. And the writer of Hebrews here is for the second time in chapter 8 he did as well. But now in verses 16 through 18 he is referencing back to the old, or for the, the, the referencing of the, and the stating of the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws on their heart and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there's forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. God is in the Old Testament through Jeremiah prophesying of this New Testament, this new covenant that would come. And the hope and the promise of the new covenant is, I won't have a law out here. I'll change you on the inside and your lawless deeds and your sins, I will remember them no more. Why is God able to say that? Because the one-time sacrifice of Jesus has done away with our sin. He has taken it away. He's removed it. He's dealt with it. He's purified it. He's cleansed it. So God can rightly say he will remember their sins no more, understanding not that he doesn't know them. He doesn't act upon them. He's not dealing with us according to them. Why? Because the one-time sacrifice of Christ has cleansed us. Once for all. Cleansed us. 
which again leads to the next point of Christ's sacrifice that makes it more beautiful and complete and perfect than the old covenant. Earlier in chapter 9, we didn't go that far back, but it spoke of how the sacrifices of the Old Testament would deal with the cleansing of the flesh, how much more the sacrifice of Christ purify our conscience from dead works. What we see, the, the sacrifice of Christ, is it not only takes away sin, but it offers full forgiveness and perfects those who receive it. Perfects those for whom it was made, rather. Chapter 10, verse 10. Coming out of his quotation of Psalm 40 and showing how Christ is doing away with the sacrifices of the first covenant by his own sacrifice. And it says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We often think of sanctification as the ongoing process of being made holy, and it is that. But there's also a definitive sanctification in which we're not just being made holy, we are holy. The process of sanctification, this ongoing progressive sanctification, is just God making us what we are, in a sense. We are holy, we are righteous, we have been sanctified before Him once for all by the sacrifice of Christ. It doesn't just forgive us of our sin, it purifies us and makes us clean and righteous before Him. In chapter 10, verse 14, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ and his sacrifice does not merely take away sin and we, we hope maybe we can be fit enough after that. The sacrifice of Christ deals with our sin, purifies us completely, perfects us before the Father, and ultimately cleanses our conscience from the guilt and stain and punishment of sin. The sacrifice of Christ was sufficient in its one time because in it we have fully been forgiven and perfected. In the earlier part of chapter 10, when speaking of these continual sacrifices, the writer of Hebrews says that in this there's a reminder of sin every year. Every year they're reminded their sin need to be dealt with. Every year there's this repetitive nature of the sacrifice to show them I'm still in need of something. And as I was reading through that, I was, I was thinking and in the, in they, had, they had a yearly reminder of their sins and the fact that their sins needed to be dealt with. And now God in his grace has given us a weekly reminder that our sins have been dealt with. And that there is no more sin in Christ. They had a yearly shedding of blood that in a sense convicted them. We have a weekly partaking of the bread and the cup to remind us that in Christ there is no condemnation for we have been cleansed. We have been purified. And also in the sacrifice of Christ, and this is going to be next week with Pastor Jimmy, and I don't want to preach his sermon, but I do want us to, to look there in, chapter, in verse 19 of chapter 10. If you go through 19 through 25, the sacrifice of Christ. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean 
from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the other thing that the sacrifice of Christ accomplishes for us. It purifies us. It's once for all. It's sanctified us. It's dealt with our sin and taken it away. And in Christ and in his sacrifice as our high priest of his own blood, we now have access to the throne room of God. We now have access to God himself. Whereas again, in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that were made in the most holy of place, but only the high priest could go in there and the people still didn't really have access to God. But now in Christ Jesus and his sacrifice and the fullness and the completion of it, we who are his people have access to God as our Father. So what do we do? As we look at this truth of the insufficiency of the the old sacrifice to save and again that it was not intended to one of the things I hope we get as we look at this text is this I hope we're convicted of and I hope we're we're pressed into and encouraged in if we are in Christ to look to nothing other than Christ and his sacrifice to atone for your sin dear friend if you're here and I and, and maybe you've been coming, maybe you've grown up in church, maybe it's your first time here, I don't know. But if you're here in this place and you think that somehow you can, you can devise a way to make yourself right with God. You don't need this Jesus thing we've talking of. You believe there's a God and you believe you, you've got some sinful areas, but you're going you're gonna to overcome that and you're going to work through that and you're going to get through that and you're going to come up with your own way to God. Let's be extremely clear. If the, fa- if the sacrifices that God himself put in place through the Old Testament were insufficient to atone for sin, you can guarantee anything you come up with will fall woefully short. Let us look to Christ and Christ alone to save us. For indeed, his sacrifice and his sacrifice alone is the only thing that can atone for sin. So let us look to nothing but Christ And for those who are in Christ, let us heed the warnings that we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews. Let's let's not leave Christ and go back to this system that we think somehow we can make our own sacrifices and atone for our sin and do these things to, to, to please God and atone for our sin. Rather, let's hear the warnings that we've already heard and we're going to continue to hear in the book of Hebrews. If you leave Christ and go back to the old system, there no longer remains a sacrifice for you. Because only in Christ and his sacrifice is sin forgiven and atoned for. So if you go anywhere else, there is no hope for forgiveness. So dear saint in Christ, who maybe is struggling under the guilt of sin and are wrestling with trying to to muster up your own way and you're going to do something and you're, you're wrestling with, do I leave Christ and go back to these other things to atone for my righteousness? Be strengthened and encouraged today. Christ has dealt with it. Christ has removed it. Christ has sacrificed for it and purified it. Go nowhere else. We need no other argument. We need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Which leads to the last thing I want us to do as we look at this. And I think the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the readers to do. Rest in Christ and his completed work. 
when it comes to the forgiveness of our sins, when it comes to our access before God, when it comes to our boldness to enter before the throne of grace with confidence, when it comes to the assurance that the sin that we've committed will be forgiven, when it comes to the assurance that indeed God will call us that day children and we will be righteous before Him, cling to nothing but Christ and rest in Him. I'm sure it was because it was in my head because we had practiced it earlier this, this week, but... In the writing of my notes, I referenced before the throne of God above and didn't even click to me that we were singing it until we got here this morning and was practicing it again and then it realized what it is. But I, I want to reference that second verse as we look at this idea of the sacrifice of Christ, our great high priest. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Rest in that, dear saint. Or like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, when Apollyon has accused him of all of his misgivings and he slept and he lost his scroll and he did all of these things, Christian looks at him and he says, all of this is true and much more which you have left out. In other words, Christian says, you're right. Everything you says is true and there's things you, didn't, you, you don't even know about that you could accuse me of. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Dear saint, rest in Christ. Our great high priest who has accomplished his work and is sitting at the right hand of Father pleading his blood on your behalf. Rest in him. Dear friend who is outside of Christ. who thinks lightly of his sin or thinks he can somehow come up with a way to atone it. Our sin is sinful enough. Christ sent the eternal son to to be sacrificed on its behalf and only his sacrificial work would do. See the reality of your sinfulness. See the reality of the holiness and, and judgment of God towards sin. And see the great work of Christ to save sinners. For he has once for all done so. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven. Even now, having looked through and studied through and read through and taught through and heard through the the book of Hebrews up to this point, and today looking at the sacrifice of Christ, we we know that even, even as much as we can grasp it now, we will not know the fullness and the depths of his work on our behalf until that day, and even then may not grasp it fully. For our sin is much greater than we can comprehend and therefore his sacrifice is much greater than we can fathom. But Father, we thank you for the work of Christ. That in him you have atoned for sin fully. In him there is no other work to be done to satisfy the judgment of sin, to cleanse us from the guilt and stain and power of sin. For Christ alone, our great high priest, has shed his own blood on our behalf. Father, I pray that as as those who are yours, 
you would strengthen us in that belief. Convict us of ways in which we seek to be looking to other things to purify us and cleanse us, to make us right before you. Help us as we seek to encourage one another to that end, to to encourage one another where we see each other being drawn away from Christ to continually look to him for he alone is our sacrifice and our high priest who intercedes. Christ, we thank you. Our high priest for being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in that death, securing redemption and salvation and forgiveness for us. We thank you that now you're interceding on our behalf before the Father, pleading your righteousness and your blood on our behalf. Spirit, we thank you that you gave us eyes to see. You've given us a new heart that, that upon it is now written the law. Our triune God, we praise you for your salvation in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.